Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Greetings and salutations. Love, hope, radio. Love, joy, and prosperity. Come on in. Another edition of Revolutionary Voodoo, New Orleans Food and Secrets and Recipe. My listening and calling out the military Thank you. 
at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time on many platforms, StreamYard, YouTube, Facebook, um, today, Instagram, not so much, but all of my other platforms are up and, and functioning and working. And, of course, you can always call me on my phone line at area code 845-277-9143, 845-277-9143. I ask that you be patient with me. I am indeed only human. Allow me a moment to navigate between the various tabs that I have opened during the course of the show. Sometimes I'm not always looking right at the phone chat uh, or the phone uh, call-in line. So just be a little patient with me. Uh, if indeed you are in the StreamYard chat, the YouTube chat, the Facebook chat, you can always type in your question, comment, or request, um, and I will do my best to respond to it as well in a, in a timely manner. I am always grateful, always grateful that anyone would take the time to be here with me at high noon, U.S. Central Standard Time, for this shared sacred space that we choose to create, that we all participate in creating in our own individual and and specific life, in our own individual and, and specific ways. I never wanted this show to be Um, me hearing the sound of my own voice. I never really wanted this show to be uh, about a lecture. I never wanted this show to be um, primarily, you know, academic. Indeed, there are so many ways that I seek to teach and share tools that my heart goal is to implant tools, implant seeds, pass on skills and abilities that not only empower the individual powering through any particular and specific request, but also something that we would continue to incorporate into our communities. We, we live in a new day, as I tried to uh, demonstrate in some of the videos that I aired uh, prior to opening up live, the transition, if you will. Now, Call it what you want, appropriation, bastardization, commercialization, globalization. We, we have a lot of isations and isms that we can put afterwards when we want to steer things into a economic position or a political position or a religious position or, or et cetera. Um, so in teaching and sharing and, and, and disseminating to some degree, what is an indigenous world way of living, an indigenous mindset, a practice that was um, uh, before the great interruptions uh, throughout history, a, a practice that was organic as is our food was organic, as was our connection to spirit, and the spirit realm was organic. And we continue to live in a world that both evolves, and sort of regresses sometimes at at the same time. We make great strides in technology, great strides in in history, great strides in industrial arenas, and and we overlook sometimes how that shows up in other forms of what we 
assume and accept to be civilized culture, to include spirituality, religion, art, science, our ethnocultural traditions as they are continue to be disseminated throughout the world through the various means that we uh, post it, share it, broadcast it, uh, produce it for movies and television shows, create comic books, and the digital opportunities now that exist for furthering not just the spread of Yoruba particularly, and I want to talk about that a little bit more today, uh, if you will, the dominance of Yoruba culture in tradition in representing, for, for many of us, uh, what we call our history, our tradition, quotation marks, what we put under this sort of generalized umbrella of what's black or, or what's African or, or what's spiritual even to some degrees. We've talked in previous shows about the presence of, of botanicas and the effects that that have had on, on the history, the telling of the history, but also the marketing and, and selling of, of products and, and ideas. And so now with the new technology that is available to us, people can really create a, a whole nother dimensional space of, of reality around these traditions. And so I understand and accept and embrace the the Yoruba and the Nollywood movies and the uh, new productions, uh, whether they be digital or cartoon, um, that are continuing to further the Yoruba story. Um, my concern, as I'm sure as many of yours is, you know, as we continue, you know, to expand this superhighway of, of information, um, just to what degree and how long um, of a wait before we see Fon and Akan and, and Airway. And knowledge always comes with that, that two-edged sword and, and who's holding the sword at any given point uh, in the conversation, who we give responsibility to to carry and, and to hold the sword. But it always comes with that, that double edge, that benefit factor, and then that, that darker factor that can create imbalance, dis-ease, um, imbalance in our, our connection to humanity, and, and, and humanizing ourselves and, and each other. We also walk a fine line between uh, humanity and, and machinery, uh, some would say. Uh, robotics and, and artificial intelligence and, and faster, more efficient ways of counting and calculating and organizing and structuring our lives than we've ever lived under before in, in any period of humanity that indeed we can remember. And we're all to some degree familiar with the, the stories and the legends of, of Atlantis and Lemuria and, and Muir and, and civilizations, uh, greatly developed civilizations that were said to exist long before our human memory, our human ability uh, to, to document. And so we've talked on this show to some degree about 
aliens and my interest in not just um, uh, the various uh, degree of alien programming that is now being um, um, shown up on, on television, but also the more historic, um, ancient connections to stories that we've biblicized or, or turned into myths of, of a particular culture and or region without really considering that we could be seeing the world in a very new and, and some would say orchestrated reality, um, a reality that um, will suspend to some degree our ability to be self-creative and, and self-thinking and able to uh, use the human skills that, that come with life on a planet full of challenges and obstacles and, and color and, and textures and are slowly losing our connection to nature. I say it, and I say it as often as I possibly can on this show, that without nature, there is no voodoo. Without nature, there is no ifa. There is no akan. There, there are not the footprint and the power associated with these traditions that we um, hold up today. And, and rightfully so, should be held up and given their place in time, given their place of honor, uh, particularly the cultures that were so violently stripped apart and stripped away by um, overt missionary work and colonizing and industrialization, um, and, and, and even closer to the present, um, the communities around the country that once were enclaves of safety, enclaves of growth and development, enclaves of, of nurturing to ensure that another generation survived, to ensure that another opportunity for great art, artisans and musicians and doctors and, and lawyers and attorneys uh, would survive. And so all aspects of our reality are, are being shaken up, uh, are being reordered and, and restructured, as is the dynamics and harmonics of the universe itself, constantly in motion, constantly changing, constantly transforming itself into something new, something greater, something uh, broader, some um, more expansive demonstration of itself and indeed of oneself. So I've had some time along with doing some work on some other projects to really re-examine my demonstration here in this space. Um, uh, Valerie Taylor, uh, I'm not sure I understand your question, beloved. Um, yeah, my email is divineprince at houseofthedivineprince.com, uh, but I'm not sure I'm understanding your your uh, question. Greetings, dark soldier. Uh, greetings, beloved. We love you as well, Danny Gibbs. Chef Bougie and the lovely Arisha, welcome. Thank you so much for always being present here with me. Greetings, um, J.P. Tarot. 
I'm honored when you show up in the house. Um, thank you, Arisha, for uh, throwing that up for me. Yeah, I appreciate it because I'm not I'm not quite understanding the question. And believe it or not, it's it's not as easy as it looks to talk and kind of hold a thought and respond to chat and navigate tabs and windows. And so that's why I ask you all to always just remember my humanity and just just be patient with me. My uh, phone line is available at 845-277-9143, 845-277-9143 as well, if you would like to um, call in. You can also uh, use the link that I'm going to uh, reshare in the chat. If you have access to your your mic and your webcam, and that's just another opportunity to be a participant in the show. And so I've had this opportunity to work on some great projects and great co- collaborations um, for which there is more to come, to be continued. There is more to come. But um, it's given me an opportunity to really relook at myself and my work and, and what I do in this space and how I share. Um, and, and Grandma always said, and I've probably said it before, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It, it was something of an older generation um, who, who came out of the Great Depression and, and learning how to save and, and learning how to maintain uh, what you have because you, you don't know when you might have something something better or something new. It, it came from a completely uh, different generation than uh, many who are not just uh, necessarily in my audience. Um, I'm honored by those who are in my age group that, that listen and participate and, and gain something um, from, from, the, from the message that I attempt to bring in this space. But I'm also equally as humbled by the younger generations who are also waking up to self, waking up to a remembrance, uh, an echo that is present just beneath the surface in all of our, our veins and all of our blood, uh, as, as organic as the rhythm of our heart and the sounding and, and the falling and rising of our, of our breath, the presence of ancestral memory, and particularly in a time, uh, in, in my opinion, when humanity is in most need of humanity, when humanity is in most need of remembrance, when humanity is in most need of recalling um, from where it has come from and, and where indeed it is growing to and, and headed for. Uh, so, um, I won't be doing any kind of shakeup that's going to obviously dislodge my most uh, committed participants and, and listening audience. But I also want to always make room for growth, make room for change, make room for, for a more modern uh, and a more relevant conversation as a result-oriented based practitioner. The result exists here and now in this present moment in time space. The result is not the hereafter, the great by and by, the great heaven that we've 
generationally uh, been been taught to sort of believe and accept and, and, and to operate from. But we, we now sort of live in a right now sort of time space. Um, and I'm sure the last, you know, 10 generations, uh, the last 100 years have, have said that to some degree, but there's no greater time in history, really, in, in written man's documented history of what we live and exist in right now in terms of the world being smaller by way of our devices and our ability to reach out and, and share our ideas and our concepts and our recipes and our fashion ideas and, and our opinions about any given um, topic or, or discussion or, or flavor, but also an opportunity to really leave a footprint of something that we would hope would be of value. We would hope would be useful and useful in a right now sort of way. The, the very first words of this title of this show, revolutionary, remind us of really the root of where voodoo with four O's was born, was birthed from. And that is indeed liberation, freedom, the seeking for justice, the seeking for revolution from ownership, from enslavement, from religion uh, to a great degree, and an opportunity for us to expand self-power and self-awareness and and self-consciousness. And I'm sure there are few who would argue with me that that need is no greater today than indeed it was at the time of, of, of Bois came on. And for those who aren't familiar, the Bois came on voodoo ceremonies, which ignited the, the drive for and the subsequent push for revolution in, in Haiti were not just one particular ceremony, but, but a series of ceremonies, more of a process, if you will, more of an initiation if you will, into not just the, the ways of war and, and, and battle and, and, and fighting, not just an opportunity to g- gather a, a stockhold of spears uh, and machetes and, and cauldron pots uh, and resources necessary for, for a revolutionary push of, of that dynamic, but more importantly, a, a transformation of the mind, the body, the spirit, the soul, if you will. And, and indeed, we have multi-layered aspects to our, our humanity that transcend even just this show. We indeed have a need for recreation and activity. We indeed have a, a greater need for uh, education on, on health and, and wellness and exercise and, and, and body maintenance. And I don't attempt to masquerade as, as master of none of those things uh, as as having gained some great degree of um, uh, awareness uh, outside of of that which I've been called to do. And so my space is spirituality and religion. That is indeed my space. If people find the material entertaining, great. Who who would not applaud that? But it's not my subsequent goal. It's not my, uh, my purpose here, uh, you know, to, to get a giggle, to get a laugh, you know, 
to, to get a whole bunch of, of, of likes for that matter. Uh, the likes and the shares and the reshares matter in the algorithm of things. And, and it has an effect on what type of things that you see and, and what type of shows are, are made much more readily available to you. Uh, have you ever noticed that some of your closest family and friends, you never see their stuff and you never see their posts? It, it don't show up, you know, without you really having to dig it out. Uh, but sometimes people that you have very little interest um, in, in what's being said or, or posted um, somehow always manage to make their way to the top of your timeline. <laughs> and it's consistent at the top of your timeline. It has everything to do with, you know, what we like, what we share, what we follow, what we support. So I appreciate the follow. I appreciate the, the, the like factor. I appreciate those who are present here, um, whether they click a button or not. But at the beginning of the day, I get up for authentic voodoo demonstrations. I get up aware of the movement of the sun and the movement of, 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 of the moon and, and the ritual calendar day that we might be pulling from it. Eva Obakoso, Olukoso. I pull from the ancestral um, archive of information that has been left for us in the demonstration, in the footprint that is authentic voodoo. And, and authentic to where you are. Another attempt I made with the earlier video before the top of the hour um, was to show some Kendable demonstration in, in Brazil and their connection to the footprint of our, of our ancestors, of many of our, of our ancestors. But also to show you some Haitian footprint, some West African footprint, that reminds us of the diversity of ethnocultural tradition that exists among us. And just like a good spice, just like a great food item, uh, it, it changes flavor. It, it changes demonstration a little bit as it enters a new land, as it is introduced into a new space, and it's, as it is put into the hands of, a, uh, of the next cook. Uh, or the more advanced cook, uh, but the next person to make contact uh, with that item, with that idea, uh, they add they stank on it, they add they flavor to it, uh, they add their spice to it. And we cannot m mistake that for um, sort of a, a hodgepodge of, of notions and ideas sort of being thrown at each other, being thrown together in the pot. Indeed, there's a science to being a, a, a good chef. Am I right, Chef Bougie? There's a science to being, you know, a, a good cook, a masterful cook. And, and so, indeed, there's a science to how we operate in these traditions, making them readily accessible. Um, in, in today's environment, it's, it's a mute argument. Um, not only are they readily accessible, but they are everywhere you turn. Uh, and particularly if you believe what you are seeing and or experiencing in social media. Um, and it's not just the profiles that would seek to, to lead you down the path of dark magic and spell work and, and ritual work, but 
also the degree of information that is also being pushed through in social media um, from all of us, whether it be about recipes, politics, and indeed about about hoodoo. Um, the over-commercialized use of sage uh, is one of my favorite pet peeves, uh, which is a strong demonstration of, of that, um, something that is probably a smaller uh, archaeological footprint um, on, on the people of, of the Native or the Indigenous Americas um, than some much broader um, things, and it's now creating a, a vacuum in nature, we're, we're now killing off, you know, white sage, which once upon a time was just abundant uh, here in California, out in the desert area, out in the West, just was everywhere. Um, and now it's going extinct. It's on one of our herbal plant extinct list uh, because of the over-commercialization of, of sage. And, and indeed, the power is in sage and not just white sage, not just the sage that you buy at the store with, with the red thread tied around it. You know, grow your own sage. Um, my sage survived miraculous weather, uh, for which I'm very grateful for. Uh, my sage is one of the plants uh, that survived the, the cold snap that we had um, several weeks back um, like nothing ever happened. So I'm grateful for the power and, and the magic in my in my garden and my ability to grow um, within my zone. And you have to grow within your zone. You have to grow what will survive where you live. Uh, so do a little research if you don't already know what zone you, you live in. Find out what plants are native to your um, uh, region. You'd be surprised what grows naturally, uh, what, what we call wild. Um, in your neck of the woods, in your region um, of the world, in your neighborhood. Um, so just do a little, a, a little research, um, and and let's realize that there are many varieties of sage, many varieties um, of cleansing, purifying herbs like rosemary that we can also pull from um, in our uh, smudging expeditions and, and, and not just kill off all the white sage on the planet just be, just because we can just because it's everywhere I'm surprised Walmart is not uh, selling sage at this point so grow I'm, I applaud my growers among us um, Paul Cologne he works a lot I haven't seen him as much in the chat lately um Dominic Holmes uh, in in Michigan. I mean, these brothers not only growing herbs and and, and plants and food, uh, but in some cases they got meat <laughs> and they're growing chicken and they're growing other uh, items that you know we also associate with with the production and the wealth of, of this tradition. Uh, indeed, having access to ritual items throughout the colonial past um, would have not necessarily been the hardest thing to come by, uh, but also still could cost you your life. It could also still be something that 
you know, had it been discovered that you were skimming off the oil or, you know, uh, grandma was hiding sachets of, of food, you know, in her bosom or, or, or grains of food being cornrowed in, into your hair, um, we forget that it's not just about um, the ritual of a thing. And let me reorder my words, because indeed it is about the ritual of a thing. But beyond the ritual itself, um, the ritual of gathering, the ritual of coming together as community, as family, the, the activity has been reduced down to the holiday dinner, has been reduced down to the Sunday dinner, if indeed we even have those anymore. Um, and, of course, in the season of, of COVID, um, now we're doing that by way of Zoom. Now we're doing that by way of uh, Skype uh, in many places around the world. And so we're seeing our very reality shifting and how we then demonstrate real uh, result-oriented practice in whatever condition that we're, we're living in, in various degrees of economic uh, status is insecurity, but finding a way to still maintain something that is indeed uh, in some minds archaic and, and, and in other minds just really old and ancient and indigenous and making that relevant to the present, making that relevant to to how we live and, and exist today. So the um, you know, the, the movies that the uh, Nigerians are now uh, producing about Orisha, Orisha, I believe, are also being sort of fueled by the Western thirst for uh, the black superhero uh, at this stage in our history and pulling from something that um, the industry, uh, I'm sure, assumes connects with us you know, from a cultural level, from a historical level, but has a, a, a global feel and appeal. Uh, again, inviting a greater audience, a greater following, a, a greater opportunity for uh, revenue and, and product development. And those who are seeking just to connect, seeking just to realign themselves uh, with, with with what's true and, and what's true for them are, are having to do so with all of this activity, you know, going on in, in front of us. So I'm grateful, indeed grateful for um, the variety of people that I interact with who show up here for the show and, and participate. Um, Danette Gibbs, I would need at least a week because um, my schedule is, is overwhelming, and indeed you would have to um, schedule an appointment with me by way of email, and I'll be more than happy to um, find a way to make that happen. Uh, I thank you. I appreciate it, uh, Doc, Dark Soul Jewel. I, I, I really do, and equally so, I appreciate the interaction. Um, and participation from uh, listeners and and viewers, and indeed your questions. 
uh, your comments, your requests. I wanted to talk today about my first encounter with Sean Go. Well, I almost told a, a lie right there. Um, my first encounter with Sean Go, I didn't want to talk about because it's just a little bit embarrassing. So I was going to talk about my second encounter with uh, Sean Go without purposing the first encounter. But but since it's out there, um, my first encounter, and I'm not sure exactly how old I was. I may have been eight or nine, maybe, somewhere right right along in that age. And I don't know why. Um, I, I don't know what for, for what reason. Um, I, I can't remember. What, was I going after something? Perhaps um, I was going after something maybe that had found its way, you know, niched into this little small space. But um, I decided that I needed to take a paper clip and go into the electric socket. But for what reason, I just don't remember. Um, and, and I don't. And that's not me being, you know, sort of shady with it. Um, I really just don't remember. Um, so I don't know to what degree the the shock of Shango uh, affected my consciousness. But I don't remember what it was that I was going after. What um, caused me to do it, uh, other than something that just kids do sometimes when they have too much time on their hands and they're not necessarily being uh, monitored. And it was in that space that I saw for the first time Shango. And Shango was the Shango on the white horse Shango. And Shango was on the white horse and there were wings involved, but the wings were so massive. I I don't really think the wings were attached to Shango, but were attached to this this Pegasus-like horse uh, that was in, in my vision. And there was the Shango with, with the sword and, and the double axe and the lightning there associated as we sort of conceptualize um, Shango in, in art today. And I can't say that there was a, a deep message or, or meaning at the time that, that I could sort of grasp, and, and particularly, you know, from that age, uh, it was many years later before I even had those words, Shango, and had an understanding of who or what Shango was, uh, but I knew it was something supernatural. Um, I, 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 like most adults, question, you know, neurodamaged, Sticking a paper clip in an electric socket, you know, even at, at a young age, I was precocious um, for my age. So, so, so I knew that there, you know, could be other things happening, but I was certain that this vision was real. I was certain that what I was seeing um, was something supernatural and, 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 and exceeded what I was hearing, you know, in the church or even within the dynamics of my family. Um, I've told the story before that uh, the first story within my family that I can remember at the youngest age would have been on my father's side of the family and would have been a discussion about voodoo. The very first conversation that I can 
remember and conceptualize and pull together who who was there um, and, and to what degree um, the conversation was positive or negative, hot or cold. I was certain that there was an aspect of my family who didn't want the conversation to continue, thought that the conversation was somehow inappropriate. Uh, there was indeed a reference to, you know, children being, being in the house. So it was a family gathering, so it wasn't any one particular family member's house. At, at, in this moment in space, it's, it's everybody's house, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, one was going to run off with, with their child, but the discussion was about voodoo, was about the trail of tears, was about ghost stories, was about supernatural things, you know, and, and, and not very long after that, uh, my family went from the black spiritualist church to the evangelical uh, prosperity ministry-based um, churches that eventually uh, developed. So any knowledge or information that I that I gained then after about particularly African culture, African spirituality, religion came through school, came through museums, came through studying, came through being exposed to um, something beyond just you know what was available at, at your house at that time. Um, as I got out into the world. Um, as a teenager trying to find my way, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, it was indeed the community that took me in, along with the LGBT community, um, that protected me from the dangers of the world, but, but kept me going in, in the right direction for me. And that led to, you know, feeding an already innate desire for hunger for um, true authenticity in, in our stories. And so I've always known um, since the 60s that, you know, these sort of ideas, these conversations have been present in many of our families, in, in, in many of our, our backgrounds for, for generations. And so I, I believe the stories about, you know, I, I know what's present in my family, but it wasn't openly discussed. It wasn't openly talked about. It wasn't openly shared. Uh, that was all of our story <laughs> to some degree. Uh, that was the nature uh, of, of being black in America, uh, and particularly coming out of the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and, and then subsequently the 70s and the 80s was uh, black power and and exploitation TV. Um, sometimes I use entertainment to sort of mark time. And so I also try to remember uh, at the youngest age possible to what degree magic or supernatural uh, programming was, was on TV. So there were programs that were already on TV um, when I was born in, in, in the late 60s. Uh, my favorite Martian, I believe, came out in '62. Um, uh, Mr. Ed, uh, the talking horse, probably came out a, a around the same time, '62 uh, or '63. But but then shows that were closer to my age, uh, and my birth date, um, Bewitched, uh, I Dream of Jeannie, 
um, of course, the, the Adams family and, 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 and the Monsters, you know, that was the, the, the earliest years of supernatural prom- programming that I can remember that predates computers, that predates social media, uh, but also uh, sort of fed the imagination of, of many of us in this, in this group, in this, in this audience, who already had uh, otherworldly activity and events um, going on uh, uh, in, in your life, in your lifetime. For the second time that I um, saw Shango was um, probably around the age of 12, probably, probably 11 or 12. And we had done something which for my family at the time was, was unusual. We had gone somewhere uh, under the auspices that we were going to have a good time. And so the church you know, there's always an ulterior motive with my dad. So the church had planned this uh, gathering at a, at a local amusement park. Um, I want to say it was Bush Gardens uh, at the time. And so we had all gotten up, you know, super early and, and packed and ready for your day and, and, and went out, you know, to the, to the amusement park and, and had a great time, you know, and, and enjoyed the fullness of the day. And we get back, and it's super, super late, um, probably after 10 o'clock at night. Um, and the dog hasn't been fed, you know, all day. And, and the dogs were my dad's project. Um, I've always been very finicky about animals and the placement of animals in society. And animals have a place, and, and, and animals should have housing and, and shelter, but, but separate. <laughs> From from the living state of, of humans, at least that you know has been sort of my positioning on it. So, um, but of course, in in the type of household that I was brought up in, um, w- with the uber uh, overbearing, toxic, you know, masculinity that that my dad was, coupled mm. with you know, religion gone awry, uh, religion used for, for power and, and, and position, the problem became my problem. So I'm walking to a, a, a grocery store uh, probably a mile, a mile and a half away from the house in the pouring rain um, to, to buy a 25-pound bag of dried old dog food and bring it back to the house. And so I've made the journey. I'm on my way back you know, with, with this, you know, um, 25 pound bag of, of dog food. I've never been very athletic. Um, I, you know, in my younger years, I was Jimmy Walker thin. I was string being thin. Um, so it, 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 I was tugging, you know, this 25 pound bag of, uh, a dog food. And there was this foreign, well, actually there were two foreign car lots. Um, one sold what I believe was called a Citron, almost Jetson-looking. There was another TV show that came out in my generation, the Jetsons. Um, Jetson kind of looking uh, Asian car. Uh, and then there was another Asian car lot uh, right across the street from it. Uh, you know, they shared two corners on, on this side um, of the 
Coral Hill side of Marlboro Park, uh, for those DMV folks who, who know exactly, exactly what I'm talking about, across from uh, the drive-in movie theater. Now, I don't know if the drive-in movie theater is still there. I don't know if it's been made a historic landmark, but there was once a drive-in movie theater right there on, on uh, Marlboro Pike. So as I'm passing the office space that housed, you know, that business activities with, with these two car lots just completely implodes, just, just goes up in flame and smoke and fire. And sure enough, it was a lightning strike. Um, Sean Go, again, demonstrating power, authority, justice, you know, by way of the lightning strike. And I was sure in the moment that no one would believe this story, that, you know, once I got back to the house, you know, they just would not believe this story um, unless had they have witnessed it. Well, sure enough, uh, they already knew of this story <laughs> before I got back uh, to the house. And, and apparently my dad had been, had been watching, had been observing from across the road, you know, in his car, Right at the moment when, when this occurrence, when, you know, when this occurrence of Shango showing up as, as lightning um, took place. And, and, of course, I tugged along, you know, uh, again with, with, with my bag of soggy, dried dog food um, and made my way, you know, back to the house. But, but knew once again in the moment that I had crossed over into a, a space of unbelievable magic and occurrence and demonstration that just as the occurrences happened in the, in the years um, continued, just became unbelievable. Um, I can remember a time in my uh, late 20s where it, it was sort of an ongoing joke within the dynamics of, of some portions of my family that I'm always somewhere where something really crazy or or spectacular or, you know, Rodney King riots, you know, Hurricane Katrina and and the deluge of of the water. Um, Just always somewhere. uh, I was in D.C. when the D.C. sniper attack was underway and people were scared to go to the gas station and and to go to the mall because, you know, uh, Muhammad and the young man were, were shooting people, you know, just just randomly. And I think sometimes you start to believe that, you know, either no one is going to believe it or it, it's got to be some crazy coincidence or, you know, you just might be, be losing it. And only by experience, by sharing my story, hearing the story of others being in the unique position to hear and, and share in the, in the stories um, of others how more alike we are than different, and particularly in your spiritual spaces. Thank you so much, uh, J.P. Terrell, um, Enzo Khalifa, greetings, beloved, Ay Bobo. Alafia, uh, Tasha, who do occultism? Beloved, we need to talk. Uh, when you got a moment, we need to talk. Greetings, Nathan Burns. Greetings, greetings, 
Um, yes, uh, Dark Soul Jewel. Thanks, Mom, for for being here, for being present. You begin to see a uh, synchronicity is a is a new word that we use now um, between your life and the life of those that you intersect with, between your life and the life of other family members, whether you consider yourself close to them or not. But it's something that comes only with time and enough patience to witness time and to just, just let life, you know, move forward that we really begin to see, you know, things, you absolutely see things differently at 21 than you do at 13. You absolutely see things differently at 31 than you do at 21. You absolutely see things at 41 differently than you see at, at 21. Um, and, and you should, and, and you should, if we're, if we're growing, if we're evolving, if we're learning, if we are developing into the gods, and the goddesses for which we are seated from, from 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 which we are are birthed from, it's real easy for us to, you know, sort of connect with the royalty of of Africa and the royalty of, of the saints. Uh, to say that we are queens and kings, you know, was what we did in the 1960s, the Black Power movement in the 1970s the civil rights movement to empower and otherwise disempowered self-esteem or disempowered ego of young black children, you know, first in America and and then, you know, with the help of Aretha Franklin and James Brown and and a few others, it becomes a sort of a universal uh, anthem. I'm black and I'm proud, you know, um, and of course, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson brought it on home for for the next generation. I am somebody. But the idea and the notion of, of being God, of being goddess, uh, is as old as Marcus Garvey and the Garveyites, if not older in 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 its presence in our in our community. And we are still struggling to step into our big boy and big girl shoes to really step into the the divine nature that we all know lives and exists and, and dwells within each and every one of us. So the relevance of ancestral honor and acknowledgement in a 2021, in a 2022, in a 2025 context um, is never lost. As long as we don't allow the telling of our story to be lost, as long as we don't allow the telling of our history to be lost, as long as we don't allow sort of the, um, I don't know if they've even come up with the word for it now, the, the, the canceling now of, of anything ethnic uh, for, for political correctness or the canceling of anything uh, uh, sensitive to a particular ethnic groups, you know, as long as it ain't ours. Now, now, I've noted, you know, and I'm standing with the Asian community and, and I'm behind the Asian community, but um, 
When do they march for us? Yeah, I said it. When have they marched for us? When have they stood with us? When have they come to our aid and in our defense? I can remember um, back during during Rodney King, the first response for many on the ground was to attack anything that didn't look black. Um, and it was an unfortunate um, time in the course of that uprising. Uh, there were Hispanics that were injured. There were Asians who were injured. There were light-skinned black folk uh, that were injured uh, in sort of the melees of those first initial moments of coming together uh, at the Rodney King riots. And so we then saw uh, people of uh, less than brown uh, complexion wearing the Malcolm X shirt, wearing Marcus Garvey, you know, having T-shirts made, uh, I am black. Um, There were stories of, documented stories of Asian businesses um, putting we are owned by black, um, red, black, and green sign, you know, to protect their store. And, and, And in the confines of war, you do what you have to do. Um, to survive, you know, without question. But I struggle, you know. I, there are some some opportunities when I think about St. Milo and who St. Milo is to maroon culture here in New Orleans, here in, in Louisiana, and its relationship to the Filipino community. Um, I can think of the Asian footprint in Yazoo City, Mississippi, Louise, Mississippi, uh, Belzoni area of, of Mississippi that has been there as long as my family has been there that, that I can recall. Um, but we don't often see um, real footprint or real demonstration of, of many until the more recent years coming to the aid and, and, and the defense of uh, black people being brutalized and, and stepped upon and, and held down, you know, under the knees and the foot of the police uh, for generations now. But we're always quick to come to the defense and come to the aid of, of others. So my fear is always that if we don't tell our story, if we don't know our story to tell it, it will indeed be lost in the environment of popularity, of of pop culture, of what's trending, you know, as as a meme right now, what's trending uh, as a look, as an imagery right now. Greetings, Jennifer Aniston. Greetings, beloved. Come on in, y'all. Um, thank you so kindly. It, it's, it's just a matter of hair. Yeah, Leslie Green. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Coral Hills, Marlboro Pike, Pennsylvania Avenue, nestled in that little Bradbury Heights Elementary School area. In fact, I grew up... Um, right across the street from Bradbury Heights Elementary School. 
And at that time, even elementary schools were in competition uh, with with one another. It might be another school right, you know, down the hill, you know, and, and so you were in competition with the other. So neighborhoods and communities were important, even in the late 60s in the DMV. And I can remember even then, that's probably the first time that I heard of gentrification. That's probably the first time I heard of white flight um, was in the early 1970s. And to see it as it was happening and then have uh, parents and educators and be in an environment that was strong. Um, The DMV was chalked the city back then. So it was strong on black empowerment, black history, black education, um, and, and not just from a standpoint of, of history and the telling of, uh, and the retelling, but its relevance to what was ever happening in our communities, in our churches, in our spiritual houses at that time, and how we could be, you know, a, a part of that, how we could be better uh, involved. So movements have evolved over the decades. What inspires us to get involved um, in movements has has evolved o- over the decades. Um, the money changing hasn't evolved a whole lot <laughs> o- over the decades. Uh, if, if you don't keep track of, of, of the dollar, if you don't keep track of the resources, if you don't keep track of the budget, if you don't keep track of, of, of the leaders that we invest in, in high-titled degree positions to sort of be stewards you know, over these these large uh, projects, then we're we're going to continue to not get the fullness of results that that we anticipate, that we even uh, believe we should be expecting. So um, that opportunity to to grow up in a time. Greetings, beloved. Infinite, um, the infinite one indeed lives. Mix Sage Hall, greetings, beloved. Please forgive me, y'all. Sometimes I get a little slow on keeping up with the chat. It's okay to be super late, but glad you're here. I'll probably be here for a few more moments. Tangerine Bliss, please feel free to not only bring your, your blessings and your respect, but your questions your comments, your request. Yes, indeed. Not the simple city. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, I, I never was. I never was. Um, I spent the first few years of my life with my grandmother, my mother's mother, um, in St. Louis, Kirkwood, Missouri. Um, and then I spent um, maybe until I was 14 in, in the DMV, and it, it was never me. It, it, it just was never me. Um, even in elementary school, even in kindergarten, you know, I actually got expelled from kindergarten uh, for not being ready to be, you know, socialized with, with other children. Um 
I was a little adult, even in, in kindergarten. Um, and so I don't grieve the loss of a childhood in, in that way. But, but I embrace the opportunities that I had to be brought up in an environment of culture and tradition and music um, and performance and, and art um, and, and books and, and literature and the long-term effects um, that, that it's had on not just my life personally, but what I do and, and how I come forward in the world as a cultural performer, as an actor, as a musician, as a dancer every now and again, uh, but also as a, a minister of evangelical voodoo <laughs> from from the root, um, from the core. Listen, I'm I'm in support of those that want freedom, if you will, from the system, freedom from organized structures that have, you know, for the most part, been problematic for us, have had a, a lasting uh, toxic effects on our community. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can't lose sight of the fact that we created religion. The indigenous peoples of the world created religion, created spirituality, created many of the tools that we are now going back to, that we are now rebirthing in a modern context uh, as a part of this this process. So we just have to be careful that we don't toss out, you know, some structure and the framework um, that holds many of these practices and these traditions together, lest we not only lose the people but the land. Um, without land, we don't have anything. That that was once a saying in our community. That was once a held belief in our community. And so we've seen time and time again, generation after generation, uh, land is sold off, land is lost due to, due, due to taxes, land is lost by industrialization in communities, uh, commercialization in, in communities, the need to up develop, you know, and put a mall somewhere that once housed people, to put a park, you know, or, or a city building or facility in, in, in a historic location that, that once was occupied by people who hold our story. So we, along with the with change in technology, have to find a way to be available in those spaces that are, are now easily accessible around the world, but to be sure that we're leaving an authentic footprint, that we're leaving an authentic uh, demonstration. Another uh, part of Shango's power um, is his uh, symbolic representation as as sort of the great ancestor or, or, or the first ancestor. And indeed, in voodoo, in Haitian voodoo, West African, um, various APR traditions, um, we have various stories of, of deities and individuals with a name that we symbolize for the first ancestor, the first dead person, the first, you know, person to make a transition. 
and, and then represent a force in nature. But universally uh, speaking, as we cross the Middle Passage into the New World, um, Shango, along with Ogu and Legba and Eshu to some degree, um, are, are some of the banner deities, these banner powers that survived uh, and were able to be reborn, be recreated, be renewed in the new world, giving us an opportunity to experience Kandavale, Maria Leonza, Paolo, Lukumi, um, Obia, Voodoo, Hoodoo, and all the, the, the uh, Gullah uh, practices that we often uh, don't give enough credit and, and representation to. Um, and, and, and so in that journey of, of self-exploration and that journey of, of self-empowerment, we create a foundation on ancestors. We create a foundation on history. You create a foundation on, on what you know, and then you build up from there. The, the next most important pinnacle uh, in my house is, is your head. For indeed, without your head, what good is any gift, skill, knowledge, reference to the knowledge if, if your head is not prepared for the information, if your head is not prepared for development, it's not fertile like, like the deep, dark soil and, and prepared for um, growth of a seed that we might want to grow and, and, and plant and, and develop. And then without Legba, without Eshu opening the way, opening the door, allowing for communication between heaven and earth, earth and heaven, humanity and, and, and the deities, if you will, without that, there is no point of beginning in the traditions and, and, and no point of beginning in, in any authentic place. In, in any authentic representation or, or demonstration. And so I see a day when we'll see more Akan publications, more Fon publications, more Luwa publications, many other ethnic groups that, you know, heaven forbid, are still in the pathway of, of being appropriated being reproduced, being commercialized, uh, being popularized um, in, in some way. But we still have an opportunity, this generation and those who come after us, to protect the authenticity of, of the traditions for, for everyone, and not just ourselves, but those who, who come after us. Um, Charmed, the original Charmed was on TV back back in the day, but now we're talking about the 80s. Uh, even when you say Nick at night, beloved, that's <laughs> for somebody in my age that even that came a little bit uh, a little bit later. But I'm grateful for them for probably being one of the original platforms that allowed. Um, um, I do. Uh, J.P. Terrell, uh, I do. Um, that was one of the original platforms, Nick at Night, that 
allow for um, sort of a rebirth of some of these older shows, some of these older programs that we can now readily pull up in, in Netflix or Hulu, you know, or, or even on YouTube in some cases in, in, in our devices. Um, yeah, I, I do. I do have a particular um, favorite Pataki, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to share it right now live on air, um, but I'd be glad to share it with you off air. Um, Wild Bill, help me, because I'm a little slow on the chat. Uh, thanks to the welfare system, we lost which belief? We, we lost a lot of belief thanks to the welfare system. But help me to connect that back to what we were what we were discussing. We we lost a lot of things. Um, a lot of things. I, I equate the '80s, for instance. Um, and no disparagement to anyone born in the 80s, uh, but, but to the politics of the 80s and in, in the Reagan era. Because I'm talking about folks who were of age um, in the 80s, uh, 18 or up, 16 or up, uh, you know, an adult, had a job or, or had to operate, you know, in what I still define as one of the more materialistic periods in the last hundred years. Um, have we taken materialism to a whole nother level? Absolutely. Uh, I watch reality TV. Um, I've seen Atlanta Housewives and Basketball Wives. And, uh, yeah, I, we, we indeed continue to ratchet up sort of the whole materialistic aspect um, of, of almost everything um, with each subsequent generation. Um, but but the 80s stand out for me uh, as a time for introduction of designer labeled um, signature series uh, prod, prod, products, which then led to this great um, economy of, of fake bags and fake shoes, and you know that set up in places like New York and and. California and, and Chicago and, you know, you had the garment district where you can go down and buy, you know, the knockoff, a safe word, a knockoff version of, you know, and, and just the watch it affect culture, community, uh, village in the way that it did. So I guess I'm comparing it to a time right after family reunions was still common in our community. Block parties were still common in our community. Uh, this predates, you know, the crack epidemic um, and, and, and sort of random street violence, you know, becoming a real prominent uh, demonstration in, in many uh, urban and, and, and crowded centers, you know, around, around the country. Um, so it, it's a time where I note the 80s, particularly for materialism and particularly how materialism was used as a distraction um, to, to what was real, uh, a distraction to dealing with the real issues that were going on in our schools, the real issues that were going on um, with, with our parents who, 
who weren't making, you know, a living wage or, or our parents who were making a living wage, but then, then subsequently were, um, you know, shelling it out the other end, you know, in living expense, in, in taxes, in other um, ways that they keep, you know, poverty in check in the world. But, you know, for some reason, we in this capitalistic um, environment need someone to be poor in, in order for someone to be wealthy. We need somebody to suffer and be the, the oppressed, you know, in, in order for an, uh, an oppressor class to survive and, and to grow. And I don't know, some might call it the survival of the fittest. Uh, I don't know the, the survival of the fittest. Um, never made sense to me an environment where intellect was king and queen, an environment where knowledge was king and queen. And so we see Simi Valley and the creation of uh, computers and devices um, really beginning in the 1980s, the late 1980s, coming out of that Reaganistic um, materialistic, you know, sort of day that we were living in and existing in. And so each generation creates, you know, the new distraction. So it was crack then, and, and now I guess it's it's crystal meth and um, over-the-counter, or not over-the-counter, but prescriptions that are treated like over-the-counter. Um, now it's a new distraction, and it's a new bill, and it's a new sort of uh, living expense that is placed on this generation. Um, and, and until someone decides we, we put it into it, it'll be passed on again uh, to the next generation. Yeah, it's it's um that that's one of the many reasons that I say uh, at the top of every show, uh, it's all an illusion. It's it's all a test. It's all a challenge. Much much like you know you take basic training going into the military before they put a weapon in your hand. Much like uh, and this is probably not the best of examples. You know you have your fraternity. Your sororities, you have a probation period going into some some areas of employment, some you know, some position you know of of employment, and so there's a preparation and a getting ready for and an acclimation that that's supposed to happen, and then you're given full right to something, then you step into the realization of something, but you know we keep going through the test and the retest and the, and the challenge and the rechallenge every generation. And it just takes on a new look. It just takes on new people in, in same positions, often wearing the same, you know, uniforms. And so the financial crisis or the oil and gas crisis 
you know, or the drug crisis now, you know, all the varying degree of immigration crisis, you know, new distractions that get your mind off what we're already complaining about, already asking for, already demanding. And and now there's a, a competitive nature that's developed with the new crisis. And, and now you're competing for funds with the new crisis when the old crisis was was never accommodated. And the original uh, crisis, which is reparations and bringing some real balance to um, not just racism but white supremacy, I think we, we look at them as somehow being synonymous. You know, but but white supremacy is really the fuel behind, the power behind, you know, the sting of of racism, you know, in the world, Uh, provided everyone is on a much more even uh, playing field. um, The sting don't matter as much, (laughs) you know, pay me what I'm owed, pay me what I'm due, pay me what I'm worth. The sting doesn't matter as much. You know, in a capitalistic, you know, world, in a capitalistic uh, environment, but uh, we get distracted on on the racism, on the bigoted comment, on the distractive event, and lose sight of you know the structure, which is systemic, that fuels a lot of the the decisions that are made that affect all of our lives um, each and every day. You know, the Dallas and Dynasty era. (laughs) Yeah. Love being black. Uh, Yes, beloved. That was, that was the era. I I remember people rushing home from church to watch Dynasty, to watch Dallas. Everybody wants to know who shot J.R. You you know, (laughs) I think I was, Going into the tenth grade, I think when when all of that happened. So, yeah, yeah, definitely uh, the late seventies going into the the material demonstration that became uh, the eighties, and many quote unquote hippies, peace and love people, free love people, then became yuppies. It ended up becoming the yuppies of the nineties. And, and going into the 2000s and having the children, you know, that were then born in the 2000s and, and going into the 2010s, you know, and, and it's a so on, so on. And so part of the distraction is ageism, sexism, generationalism, you know, uh, create the, the, the look of not being able to, to come together over age difference over the dynamics of, of where you live in the country. Are you more urban? Are you are you more rural? Are you, are you in the suburbs? All of these things are used as distractions, really. And so the, the real authentic core is, is ultimately the goal. It's ultimately what we're working to get to, individually or, or collectively, what you're striving to reach. And so my goal has always been not only sort of the revival of 
traditional African-based religious systems and indigenous world systems um, alike, but for them to be taken more seriously and, and given just as legitimate a platform in the discussion as other religious-based systems that have found their way historically into the discussion and, and to some degree continue to fuel many of the decisions that are made, you know, for any segment of our, our population. Uh, in, in a culture that says we separate church from state, which we know that's never been the case, <laughs> you know, in, in a culture that says that, you know, we have freedom of religious belief, but, but, but we know that certain religious belief systems are protected in a way in this in the society that voodoo is not, that lukumi is not, and are not given the same degree of, of, of respect. Now, when, when you demand your day off from Martin Luther King, when you demand your, your day off to acknowledge the, your Jewish holiday, when you demand, you know, your day off to acknowledge the president's birthday, you know, it's not the same thing as representation for ATR, really, really. And I'm sort of uh, not happy with, with the continued painting of the black community, people of color, with the church paintbrush, as if we all somehow get our news from the church, as if we all somehow get our news from the barbershop. I haven't been in a barbershop in decades. Somehow we, you know, all get our, our news at, you know, the hair and nail salon. I, I, again, I think it's an old, uh, played out, stereotypical notion about who we are as a people and an attempt to limit us, reduce us, and distract us, you know, while we battle through with, with the labels, while we battle through with class and status, while we battle through with making sure we can afford life and, and all the responsibilities that, that, that come with, with life. So it is indeed a, a distraction, even under the best of circumstances. Each challenge, each illusion of a block, of an issue, of a complication, is often first pushed forward by your ancestors, those who can see before and after us in a way that we cannot, who have had a human incarnation who still survive ancestral memory, surviving in your blood, and so can be our first line of defense. Uh, I think Grandma used to say, uh, God protects babies and fools, is the second category after ancestors, uh, where, where angels come down and, and stand up for our defense, stand up for, for our protection even in our own foolishness, even in our own blindness, even in our own inability to see, even in our own inability to, uh, to understand. Um, and, and then, of course, God is always at the forefront of, of any endeavor 
being the creator, the master of the universe and the universe itself. Now, we don't need to debate if it's masculinity or it's femininity. You know, understanding that that God supersedes all titles and, and labels and, and isms that we might want to place on, on religion and the politics of, of religion. And in my book, The Black Woman's God. Yes, indeed. And I appreciate you all for spending time with me here in the middle of your day at high noon, U.S. Standard Time. Um, please bring your questions, your comments, your requests. I'll be more than happy to address you, bring you here in on the on the on the camera. Listen, if y'all not gonna ask questions, if y'all not gonna participate, I'm gonna start doing a whole different show. Okay. I can sit in a chair and turn my camera on and film my piece and end my piece and post it. The dynamic to the live broadcast is you all's participation, is you all's. Um, okay, T, uh, JP Terrell, let's say this. Okay, but we asked you questions, and then you don't want to answer those questions live on air. Listen, when we start getting into things of like Orisha, like Abbasan, like Loa, we're talking about initiated information. So I, I don't go into no more than many of your most favorite book authors. I don't go any more into what is otherwise protected information, initiated information, or, or, or falls within a system of, of organization. I don't, I, I just don't do it. Now, now, I do it with my godchildren. I do it with my initiates. Sometimes I do it with my clients. And I go into a great deal uh, depth and detail about very specific normally initiated information. I don't do it on the show. Haven't done it on the show in years. Uh, it's too problematic. And for me personally, I'd rather not be a source of the problem. I'd rather not be. So people can Google Pataki. People can Google Orikis. It's, it's a million books out there with people attempting to speak for the deity, speak for the Orisha, speak for the, the Loa in, in varying degrees of, of education and, and experience and whatnot, et cetera. That's available to everybody, right, in, in, including myself. But the minute that I say something and – Speak to it as being an authentic representation of, and once it leaves my lips, I have no control of what happens to it after that. I have no control of what's done to it after that. So I don't share protected information on the show. I just don't. I never have. Well, your show is called Secrets and Recipes. Absolutely. 
And if we go back a decade, maybe about 12 years even, into the archives, once upon a time, I did that every day, did that every day. There might be one or two people in here, um, including the Infinite One Lives, um, who remembers back in the Yahoo 360 days, I went into a great detail of culture, ethnic group, geographic location, tradition, practice, what and value. And then when it was valued, then it was duplicated and replicated. <laughs> you know, so I just don't. I, I, I just don't. I don't want anyone to say that I said on, on, on the broadcast that, that this is the proper way that you do a particular ceremony. And so I followed his verbal instruction to the letter and got A, B, C, D, or E as a, as a response or, or result. And, and it wouldn't be organic. It wouldn't be authentic to what's true. And so we learn certain things at a certain pace within the tradition that many people have, have invested time, money, more time, more money, and in some cases a passport, travel, and expenses to acquire, only to have it reduced down to today's sort of pop cultural, you know, I don't need initiation, I don't need godparents, I don't need elders, I don't need teachers, I got Bing, I got Google, I bought a few books, you know, I own a few PDFs, you know, that's what we exist in today. And it's akin to chemistry, in my opinion. It's akin to medicine, in my opinion. And we all can Google plants, Google herbs, Google Google roots, figure out what their, you know, health benefits are, figure out what their toxicity, you know, is, figure out how we can incorporate them. But that's like getting a, a master's or a PhD degree. That would consume your day. That, that would consume your life, like someone studying to get a degree. And so the nature of, of today's culture is to take the shortcut. The nature of today's culture is to, you know, oh, well, I saw it in a video and now I'm, you know, burning a green candle and, and smudging sage and, you know, and, it, and it's so out of context, as you and I have, have talked about privately, um, it is so taken out of context that I just, I can't, I can't. Um, I remember a time when it was, it was just the debate, the debate, the debate. And, and every day, you know, we would come into social media and it would be, you know, who's the kumi is better than the next, who's um, loa was was better than, than the next. Um, Dark Soul Jua, in order to operate um, authentically within the traditions, you have to acknowledge and serve um, a group, a family, 
uh, of deities to include Dambala. And Dambala has its place in, in the maintenance of a Hong Four, in, in the maintenance of, of a voodoo house. Um, we also have deities by other names that we um, call on, that we uh, speak to um, in, in that realm of, of spirit manifestation that are unique to, um, to New Orleans. Um, so sometimes when we say Dambala and there are Haitian practitioners, Haitian performers, Haitian material being pulled from, indeed we're pulling from a Haitian demonstration. Um, then there are times when we're pulling from serpentine spirits, but not quite Dambala, uh, but, but known to us. By, by another names here in, in Louisiana, um, then we're pulling towards more Louisiana, um, authentic Louisiana um, demonstration. Uh, Le Grand Zombie is probably one of the most popular um, serpent-based deities that are specific to New Orleans. So you see Dambala in West Africa, in Louisiana, in Haiti. You might not see Le Grand Zombie in Haiti. Um, and, and, and that's a mutual, that's not mutually exclusive. Uh, there are going to be powers represented in each location, in, in he, each homeland that's going to be specific to that region, that's going to be specific to that family. And in, in, in some cases, we might even say specific to that lineage. Often within these powers, there are a diversity of uh, manifestations, uh, sometimes as many as 12 or more manifestations of, of a, a loa or a deity that the common world knows only by one name. And so there are other names for instance, that I could call Shango by right now that some of you probably have never heard of before. Um, if, you, if you haven't participated in ethnic, cultural-specific ceremony, again, like Lukumi, like Haitian voodoo, like Ewe voodoo, like Yoruba, uh, Nago, then you, you're only going to hear words or language that resonate with sort of the, what I call, what I coined, Risha romance and, and Loa worship that goes on here in, in the Americas. Um, there are certain names that are common to, to, to the books, uh, and they're duplicated from book to book, from story to story. From one kind, you know, for instance, we opened up talking about um, the uh, Arisha uh, digital production that I showed before the opening of the show and how it's being produced, branded, marketed, presented from the Euro people, but it's being offered to the world. So, uh, again, we have one more thing that sort of paints those stereotypical, you know, it's red and white, you know, he likes apples and, 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 and bananas. 
you know, palm tree is his favorite, you know, tree, you know, these, these sort of checklist things that we see in the books. And that's who I'm trying so desperately not to be. J.P. Carroll <laughs> is the guy, the gal, whoever y'all want to call me by, who, who, who was pulled from exclusively for that reason. My concern is that voodoo lives beyond me, that the authenticity of the traditions live beyond me, and this audience, and this generation, and, and this conversation, but lives beyond us in a way that's most authentic to the root. Um, so that's why, you know, I take all questions, <laughs> Dark Soul Jewel. I take all questions, J.P. Tarot. Um, but I'm very organized in my response and and my ability to sort of forecast um, the level of harm a person could cause themselves um, with the wrong information in the wrong context. Um, we, uh, again, Think of Shango as, as lightning and Oya uh, uh, as the wind, Mother Earth, but she moves um, as the wind. And, and, and again, that's Arisha lore. But Sagbo and Bade, much stronger uh, companion forces in, in Voodoo, uh, which represent lightning and when, but but from a very different place, from a very different um, demonstration culturally. So the practice continues to evolve. The practice continues to be renewed. The, the practice continues to be reborn with any and every generation that embraces the practice authenticity authentically, but the uh, damage of the miseducation is something that we're going to struggle to to move beyond um, in, in coming decades, really. It's going to take us some years to sort of move beyond some of the foolishness that, that I think we've gotten ourselves sort of stickied with. Um, covered with um, voodoo as a magic, um, looking at it as a, as a form of witchcraft, um, looking at it as some extension of power magic and ego magic and destructive magic and, and, and all this kind of stuff that, that is um, not akin to, to nature itself and, and how nature moves. Understanding that all things in balance. So, so there's dark areas to life. There, there are storms and, and, and there are torrential rains and, and there might be flooding. You know, there might be excessive heat. You know, there might be drought. You know, there, there are all degrees of darkness and calamity that, that already exists naturally in, in nature without the introduction of gin and, and demonic entities and, and bad magic 
that only feeds the ego, the temporary, the illusion, and, and not something a little bit more rooted and, and permanent. Okay, I'm checking my phone line. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to revamp this show. Maybe as soon as Monday, I'm going to completely revamp the show. And um, there's got to be another way to do this and not have to monitor two different chats, phone lines, and uh, my webcam. Thank you, Mom, for being one of the active participants in in today's show. Um, I'm going to wrap it up here soon, but I'm um, I'm going to come at the show a little bit differently. Um, because if indeed I'm going to be expected to talk for two hours, then I might as well talk in my leisure at my conference about what I want to talk about and in the context in which I, I want to share it. Um, you'll still be able to send me your chats. You'll still be able to email me your responses. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to do it quite like this. So just just know it's coming. I've been turning it over in my head for some weeks now. Um, I, I don't know the infinite. Listen, they got plenty of places, plenty of places to get all manner of, of witchery and, and hijinks and and buffoonigans, and it's plenty of places to get that. Um, and, and one of the reasons that I have been as successful as I have been is my originality and my sticking to the material and, and, and sort of a comfort zone that people expect with me that I'm not going to veer off to the left or the, or, or the right, you know, with the material and take liberties um, with what is truly and indeed a cultural ethnic phenomenon, you know, within our, within our, all of our histories, all of our, our back, uh, our, our backstory. So um, that will never change. Um, but, you know, sort of the standing and, 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 and doing a two hour show and, Coaching um, questions, you know, um, from the chat, it's, it's not the most productive use of this time. Um, we could we could do this we could do this differently. Um, yeah, JP Carroll said they can get they they craft stuff from TV. They can, <laughs> they can get it from uh, American Gods. They can. They, they can get it from uh, any number of uh, programs that are on right now that um, many people take for real when we share the comments and the, and the posts in Twitter. Many of them take for real demonstrations of what voodoo is. 
of what black magic is, of what spirituality is, you know, and and the application of craft. Craft. Well, we'll take we'll remove witch out of the words. It's like we took neighbor out of hood, neighborhood. We'll take witch out of the word and just say craft, and and that'll make it you know more pliable, more you know at something we can advance to to a larger to a larger audience. But but somehow the mindset still keeps coming back to to. Uh, witchcraft and black magic and, and other forms of, of gin-based magic. Um, quartz clusters, Arisha, are good for multitasking, first off. Because on the one hand, in a quartz cluster, um, you're going to have multiple terminations, multiple points, which presumably are going to have their own individual and unique program, their own individual ability to, to deal with energy, um, store energy, project energy in, in their own unique fashion. So straight out the gate, it's a multitasker, um, good for working with groups or with organizations or, or, or with a classroom. Um, it's also great in doing in more individualized work for breaking up strongholds of energy, and particularly where there might be more than one offense, more than one source of the trauma, more than one uh, point of, of interest to, to be discussed in, in a therapeutic setting or, or healing uh, uh, dynamic. Uh, but Multitasker is is a great uh, way of looking at it. Um, being able to do more than one thing simultaneously, being able to address more than one person, place, or thing uh, simultaneously is what we gain the most benefit from clusters. Um, some of my more favored clear clear quartz custard pieces I use to not only address um, some of my ritual work, uh, particularly when my energy must be amplified, uh, I'm, I'm being stretched in more than di- in one direction. I'm having to deal with, you know, one traumatic event on the left and, and another traumatic event on the right. Um, in some cases, not giving yourself ample time to cleanse and to ground, and, and to be renewed. So the cluster can come in and, and bolster up uh, some of your backup, some of your protection there, and focalizing that energy in more than one direction without losing the potency of, of, of the vibration, without losing your ability to, to, to do more than one thing, without lessening your uh, Output your skill set. Um, something I heard growing up as a child is jack of all trade, master of none. And, and I swore that there was another way to approach that. That we indeed can be uh, jack of all trade and master of many if, if we just choose to do so. So your clusters can help you um, 
for instance, in, in college, in, in university, um, I used to carry a cluster with me to class. It was a small, almost about the size of my, my palm, so it was easy to, to transport. It was a tabular, so it had a sort of a, a wide midsection, made it easy to just kind of sit on a book or on the desk or whatever. But it helped me to sort of correlate the degree of information that I was having to learn and memorize and remember and, and organize. Keeping in mind, for, for my new listeners who don't know, that I have Asperger's, um, which is sort of an adult form of, of, of autism. So I don't process words, memory, thoughts, colors, smells the way a, a lot of people do uh, in the first place. Um, it, it, it can come in as just a bunch of loud noise. And then I have to figure out, I have to isolate um, sounds and, and points of interest. And so courts would help me to sort of do that, um, turn off my ability to hear all the other conversation that's going on, you know, in the classroom around me and, and to hear not only what's being taught, uh, from the from the chalkboard, but the specific needed necessary material that I needed to remember, and then be able to regurgitate at some later point. Um, so I found clusters to be real helpful in endeavors of education, um, study, remembrance, um, referencing even researching to some degree. Um, I look at it as a three-dimensional or even a five-dimensional maybe um, crystal ball, but but without the spherical shape. So your cluster now is reaching out presumably in, in multiple directions all at once in, in different points throughout space all at once. And it said that uh, a straight line is, is infinite. So we imagine that each quartz point reaches out to the, to the extent of, of the universe. And then that energy is brought back to the center of, of your quartz crystal. So they're also good for amplifying fields of energy. In a, in a particular person, place, or, or even a thing, um, amplifying protective defenses, amplifying uh, the ability to, to receive, pull in uh, certain blessings, certain specified uh, items, energy, or, or even people in, in some case, um, the ability to reach out remotely to other people, places, and things are all amplified um, with quartz clusters. And again, each crystal, each cluster is um, unique in its own way. So after discovering what you have, the various parts and makeup to, to, your, to your piece, you can get an even more specific um, usage understanding about any particular quartz piece that you might be 
being working with. Maybe the term witchcraft is a stereotypical term used to lump together what they don't understand. Dark Jua, perhaps. I, I accept that there is a degree of truth to that, particularly when we look historically. So so they get together, they drum, and they must be doing that voodoo. Um, you know, they're, they're forming a circle, and they're holding hands out there, and they're chanting, you know, down from God, they must be doing voodoo. I, I get that. And the historical context of sort of demonizing the practice. But, but that's not what's happening now. What's happening now is very similar to how I went from coming out of a generation where to call somebody a nigger, even a black person, especially a black person, was one of the most egregious things that you could do, to, to nigger then being transformed into an art form um, in, in, in certain areas of music, in, in certain cultural nuances uh, in our community. We, we see sort of this pop cultural Western thing of taking a word back to somehow depower it. Uh, if I just call myself a bitch, it makes it less egregious than me calling someone else, you know, the bitch. And so there's one relative truth in that where, okay, well, we're going to lump it all together as, as, as witchcraft to sort of disempower it. But that's not what's happening now. What we have now is, is a generation that believes and accepts it all to be witchcraft and therefore makes no distinction between one culture over another, one nuance to a particular practice or a tradition as it might be demonstrated in the Middle East, for instance, versus how it might be demonstrated in South America versus how it might be demonstrated in in ancient Europe, that's now all lumped together. I also uh, compare it to um, sort of how some of us still to this day sort of struggle with the notion that black people created rock and roll, black people created jazz. But then we see a demonstration out in the world that in some cases have removed us entirely or replaced us now with Asian faces, European faces, you know, ethnic faces all over the world that now take great pride and great honor and, and receive great reward for something that we gave birth to, for something that we, we believe was at one point uniquely who we are. And what is unique to us that is not then free to be appropriated? What is it that, you know, depending on the day of the year, it depends on who, who the celebrity is. You know, we get worked up about things like blackface. We get worked up about, you know, 
the white girl who decides that they're going to do a photo shoot and they're going to cornrow her hair and they're going to, you know, put a little shade tint on her. Um, you know, we, we, we pick and choose how and when, you know, it's culturally appropriating versus, you know, it, it's open and free and, and available to all to do. And, and the truth is, it's in the reverse we don't do that. We don't appropriate Celtic gods, Nordic gods. We don't appropriate Japanese, you know, deities in the way that we do in the West, the way that we do in the Western world. You don't see that happening. Um, you don't see uh, whole truths of, of people's cultural footprint and, and demonstration sort of being used and, and called out for, for the world to sort of operate in and, and demonstrate in, except by us. You don't see that anywhere else, really. Oh, we can make fun of and we can joke and, and we can clown, you know, you know, on, on Saturday Night Live or, or, or make a skit or, or something about. But as a rule, we don't see whole aspects of, of other cultures around the world sort of just being appropriated and, and appropriated to the degree that we see happening with, with voodoo and, and with Orisha today. And so um, I think it's more than just uh, a misunderstanding of terms. I think it's more than just um, sort of the, the, the reverse racist offense, you know, the can we all just get along? Can, can it all just be the same? Can it all just be, be equal? Um, we wouldn't have, I, I was going to say we wouldn't have Chinese food, but, but do you all do understand Chinese food is not Chinese food? You all do understand, right? That that deep fried, you know, high salt, you know, MSG that that you're getting from the the community, quote unquote, Chinese food store is not Chinese food, and it ain't the food that Chinese people eat. So there there's an, a a particular flavor of appropriation that's specifically directed at us and at our community. And and it's to the quickest access to your dollars, the quickest access to your to your buying buying power, and the least common denominator in, in terms of how we arrive there. Re- reduce it down to what's easiest to package, reduce it down to what's easiest to sell, and witchcraft sells right now. The idea, the notion, self, it, it's more sexier and romantic than nature, I guess. It, it's more sexier and, and, and romantic than the idea that we might have to eat a certain way and live a certain way and be a certain way and to become a, a, a certain way. It, it's easier. So I understand where the misinterpretation can come in 
I, I really do, but um, that's not what we're what we're seeing right now. That's not what we're seeing right now. If anything, we're seeing an evolution of the word witchcraft to now include cultural, ethnic nuances that once before would not have even been considered witchcraft at all, um, which would not have even been considered and considered as witchcraft at all. Uh, Once upon a time, we weren't important enough to have archaeological, historic, uh, uh, authentic representation, uh, no matter who was who was performing the task. Uh, we had to get beyond the, 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 the racism and the white supremacist ideas that exist even among the scientific community. And, and we're still challenged with that to some degree, even even today. So I don't, I, I don't, I personally don't believe that it's that. Okay, um, Lena, that's a serious, um, that's a serious request. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to say a serious accusation, but, but that still might be, be true. Um, in the series of questions that I would want to ask you about that, this might not be the best uh, uh, environment in which to do so. Um, so first, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some of your spelling. So I believe you're trying to say possessed. And I could be wrong. But it looks like you're saying that your husband has been possessed and you can't do anything about it um, and prayer is not changing it. And even in the most theatrical demonstration, um, we understand that qualified people, indeed, if it's a, if it's an authentic possession, qualified people must deal with authentic possession. Um, no more than drug addiction. We can't necessarily pray that away. Uh, we can certainly create an environment. Um, where we indeed desire a person to seek help, uh, to stand up in their truth, um, to accept some assistance. But but when you say possession, you're talking about something of a completely different nature. And often when we see possession, the the deity, the, the, the jinn that's maintaining the possession um, puts up blocks, puts up guards where the person can't see themselves authentically. Um, sometimes when we see people in the throes of, of an addiction, um, for instance, um, there's also that jinn component there. And so not only is the person sort of stuck in a place they can't find sobriety in or, or get out of, but then they have this gin that's, that's blocking any opportunity um, for you to, to, to receive or to accept help, even if help is being therefore offered to you. So when we 
think about jinn, demonic possessions, um, we're talking about a whole nother class of, of discussion um, and questioning that I would need to have um, with you uh, to sort of come to, to, to an agreement if indeed it is um, a possession and then how to go about it, how, how to attack it. Um, thank you so much, Leslie Green, and I'm always grateful to Michi X um, for the opportunity that she provided and, and for an opportunity to reach um, another demographic uh, to expand to our, our audiences um, equally. So I appreciate you, and, and of course I appreciate uh, Michi X. So, uh, yes, uh, Lena, please send me an email, beloved, Divine Prince at houseofthedivineprince.com and um, I'll be happy to look at that um, a little more closely. I'm looking at my banners. I thought I had my email already in the banner. So let me create an email banner. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio, for always listening in and providing a stable audio backup for us for the show. I know people who actually listen to the show from their place of employment and everyone in the audience, um, I'm sorry, everyone in their office space can actually hear us and hear uh, our discussions. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Give me a second here. Where did it go? Okay. I think I got it. Well, I thought I did. Okay. Always a blessing, beloved. I'm going to be um, moving forward shortly, as it were. But but I I, I greatly appreciate you showing up at, at any point in the show. Uh, J.P. Terrell offers that witchcraft appeals to our need for rebellion, but ATR is about community. They aren't rooted in the same soil. Um, perhaps I could see that. Uh, I, I, of course, my my mind immediately goes back to what came on uh, in, in Haiti, and and the reason that we have um, rebellion and, and the fear of rebellion in, in the New World, even till this day, uh, is at the root of the Haitian Revolution. And the sort of fear that it instilled in the new world. Many of the the black codes and the limits on our mobility and the limits on our freedom did not happen right away or earliest in our 
slave history here here north of the border in the deep south, but indeed were ratcheted up the Haitian Revolution because it was synonymous with rebellion. It was synonymous with uh, attack, slash and burn, you know, kill everybody in sight, you know, and and, and that was the fear uh, recreated by the Haitian Revolution and and subsequently uh, Boakana. So it was at that point that we were not allowed to to gather anymore the way we once could in earlier periods of of U.S. enslavement, Southern enslavement here here in the U.S. Um, Indeed, the the fear and the miseducation of rebellion. Um, So we, we don't hear enough about maroon camps. We don't hear enough of any teaching or education particularly when we think about what black history is and how black history is taught um, in America. We don't hear about maroon leaders. We don't hear about St. Milo. We, we don't hear about um, Bois Coupi. We, we, we barely hear about um, Nat Turner, um, and, and his story is, is still being retold and, and rewritten and retold uh, to some degree. But... Um, it indeed fostered a fear of rebellion that's at the root of, of much of the oppressive behaviors that we then endured here um, in the Americas. And, and, and the idea that just the right ceremony and, and, and we'd be ready to give up, you know, enslavement. We would be ready to, to risk death uh, than to stay enslaved, than, than to stay oppressed. Um, J.P. Terrell, what am I not getting here? Um, Uni Universal, what am I not getting? Uni Vera, what am I not getting? Yeah, um, there's a lot going on in this in this statement, and I'm not sure if it's me or or how I'm reading it. But um, uh, Uni Univero, I am not quite getting what's. Are y'all being facetious? I'm not. <laughs> what am I not getting right now? That's why I need y'all to call in. I need y'all to turn some webcams on. I'm 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 missing something here. What am I not getting about what y'all are saying? Um, there's enough sleazy witchcraft to go around globally. Let me attack it from that perspective. So I don't know who I'm talking to exactly um, or, or why. I'm, I'm missing something in, in the conversation. But there's enough sleazy witchcraft to go around. And, and I will indeed say when we look at the quote-unquote sleazy uh, witch doctor and, and African to sort of poison, harm, et cetera, we're again talking in the context of post-colonialism, post-missionary uh, uh, um, post, um, um, move and action and activity into the motherland. We, we also know that they appropriated power 
and position of the leaders, the healers, the kings, queens, the rulers, to present sort of an image of um, localized control when the control was really being coming was dominated from Germany and and from France and and from London and and, and from Portugal. So um, I, I need some dates and some time. I, I need some help in getting a, a time period, a, a point of reference for um, who and what we're talking about. Because I'm still not quite understanding what's being said here. Paganism is not voodoo. Paganism is not a traditional African-based religious system. In fact, paganism did not even include um, the southern half of the, of the global hemispheres until relatively recent um, in the context of, of, of history. Of course, anything that is quote-unquote not Christian is implied to be pagan paganism. So, so it's a it's a Christian it's a Christian standing point. It's a Christian jumping off point. No matter how Christian you consider yourself to be, when we use the word paganism, but when we go back to you know a hundred years, even two hundred years, in terms of our dictionary references, our encyclopedia references. They weren't speaking to Yoruba. They weren't speaking to Akan. They weren't speaking to Airway. And even then, um, they had a very remote understanding of what voodoo was um, at all, outside the context of these people are, are, are heathen, mystic. These people are outside the will of God. These people need our missionary work. These people need our blessing. And, and some even convinced themselves that enslavement uh, was in our favor because it exposed us to these, uh, these Christianized uh, belief systems. And, and, and funny that, that Islamic enslavement predates Christian enslavement as we know it. Yet we somehow don't hang the same placard, you know, off of the Islamic shoulder as it relates to demonizing, crushing uh, indigenous world practice and tradition, and then falsely labeling it witchcraft or paganism, you know, or or in any way heathenistic um, work. Or, or practice. Um, first, I just have to put out my disclaimers. Uh, suicide is just not a good thing on any level. Um, so, in, indeed, if you get problems, if you if you got issues, if you need someone to talk to, um, send me an email. I most certainly can make sure that anyone that's dealing with suicidal thoughts um, can have someone professional to um, 
discuss that with. But but in terms of, of spirit, again, I think when we say bad spirit, um, we, we, we are using an English word, bad, with a great deal of, of that connotation behind it. I will say that it's not a good idea at all. Um, it only forces a soul to repeat, to repeat. And often the repeat, the return is going to be far more challenged than the first pass at it. So it's it's not a good good idea in in that sense. Um, a, a soul can become trapped, uh, disembodied, uh, refuse to move on, on along on its journey, or, or become um, entrapped with persons, places or things here on the earth plane, which also keep it entrapped. And, and that within itself is, is a form of hell. That within itself um, is, is a form of, of torture, being stuck in a particular uh, place or, or scenario that, that you can now not get out of. And some uh, ghosts, uh, um, experts might even suggest things like poltergeist and opportunities for ghosts or spirits to become stuck um, in a in a dimensional time space that's not to your best interest can also be created um, from that. Um, life is a bit of a, a contractual agreement. Um, no, no matter how it sort of looks to us at, at any given point in our journey. We've contracted with the ancestors and with the spirit realm to be on loan, to be a part of this process um, for, for a set predetermined uh, amount of time. And sometimes it's really young and, and we have babies leave the world. Uh, we have babies that never make it into the world. In, in, in fullness, and we ask why that is, what is that purpose? And, and, and we have folks that live to be 100, you know, or, or more, and, and we ask why, you know, are, are they given more time than the next? Why isn't, you know, my time, you know, guaranteed or destined to be of a certain length? And without, you know, meandering, you know, with Die and how we live and all of that stuff ultimately does not control the day, the hour, the time that we have contracted to be present and within the matrix of our reality, we often don't know when exactly that is. Now, there are examples throughout the world in various cultures where people have doppelgangers see themselves uh, in, in a very unique way uh, before they know they're going to die. Uh, people have stories of being visited by uh, ancestors and, 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 and the dead uh, before they might know that they're going to die. Uh, I've known people who had serious health conditions um, that knew sort of instinctively um, when they were going to die. Uh, but we still aren't given sort of controls over that. Once, once the contract 
uh, has sort of been made and, and, and put into to motion. So the suicide doesn't necessarily, you know, make bad people bad spirits or, or, or vice versa, but it definitely can create distortions in time um, where, you know, what you thought was an escape from a bad situation, and, and the good thing about situations is that they are temporary. Uh, there are very few permanent, consistent, lasting, unchanging um, scenarios of, of, of negativity that don't fluctuate, that don't have a, a change, save for certain health conditions, maybe certain types of injuries, uh, uh, maybe. But even then, uh, I believe a soul is given an opportunity to pull from their best powers and create and recreate a reality that mirrors their best interests um, moving forward. Suicide uh, short circuits that and short circuits sort of the dynamics of how destiny, fate, F-A-T-E, and the actions, the results of our, our, any given action or, or choice, I should say, um, at, at any crossroads of our life, how that then can affect things. I have a sister who, by all means, uh, should not be here today. Um, and please be in prayer for uh, my sister, Teresa. Um, my sister Teresa is probably five foot tall, um, weighs every bit of 100 pounds, maybe. Um, okay, I'll say maybe one, 105, maybe. But she's a very small, petite girl. Um, she's already been through great in- injury, great injury uh, over the course of her life. Um, some years back, she had a, a hostile ex-boyfriend literally crush half of her head in uh, with a barbell. And she got up and she survived and she kept pushing and she kept ticking. Uh, so last week, uh, she was backed over and then run over uh, by a pickup truck. Um, and she's come out of surgery. She's you know, doing great, keep you in her prayers. But, you know, it's an ongoing joke that she got nine lives. It's just an ongoing joke now that she, you know, seems to bounce back from the from the inevitable. And, and then we have scenarios where people, you know, pass away for the littlest of things. Uh, people pass away for no reason at all. Uh, so I'm never going to you know, pretend like I can explain it to you and make it make sense, uh, you know, in in a two-hour show um, for any length of of discussion. But my understanding, what I've witnessed from my own spirit journey, what I've been told and and, and educated by elders and people who came before me is that um, the, the suicide is not about um, sort of the wrongness of a person choosing to end their own life uh, um, prematurely, but the notion that you can't cheat 
death. You can't cheat fate. You can't cheat destiny. And so if it's indeed not your time, they say God won't take you. But if it's indeed not your time and we commit a suicide and manage to make it into the spirit realm, there's still that notion that you can be stuck, that you can be out of sync and and therefore creating generational curses that survive in the family, that survive for others, that that continue to live, along with the, the notion that you then come back and repeat and quite possibly do a repeat in worse circumstances, do a repeat under uh, more egregious conditions on, on the planet. <clears throat> yeah, um, that's that. That's a topic. Uh, of discussion um, uh, what do you call them the the organized suicides for people with really you know worsening health conditions okay those two things don't quite have anything to do with each other yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, uh, Lena. That's um, that's unfortunate. Well, uh, Murphy, if this is a, a, a legitimate question, you're asking a what if, based on your your present. Uh, awareness or lack thereof of what suicide is. Uh, Lena, as I suggested, uh, you might want to email me that. You got a lot going on. Death, suicide, the whole notion of it. I'd much rather address that in a more organized fashion. Um, it's really not easy for me to piece together the comments in chat in this way. Um, you're asking a what if suicide is a path he signed up. Based on what? So, so we can say what if and put anything behind it. Well, what if chat, you know, fat meat don't make you greasy? What if you know, it, we can put a what if behind any hypothetical idea and or notion. So let's look at that practically. So to be born just to take life and to take life out of sync. And, and I don't think any parent, any parent would want to see a child, would give birth to a child, to bring a a child into the world only to be told that um, the child's destiny 
is to end its own life and to um, end the life um, prematurely. That that's not that that doesn't make it that doesn't make sense. Uh, thank you, Arisha. Yeah, assisted suicide is the word I, I was looking for in the uh, in the case of uh, people with health conditions seeking um, medically supervised um, assistance in, in ending their life early due to declining health, due to, due to disease. Um, and, and, you know, there's a certain threshold that we could walk through where, you know, to what degree does anyone have the right to decide when the pain is too much, when the condition is, is overwhelming, when the condition uh, has no no recourse, has no, you know, objective um, um, remedy to, to, to look forward to. Um, there's indeed a a door that can be opened in culture, and I'm sure it has happened at some point um, in history um, where we are ending life, devaluing life, um, dehumanizing life and, 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 and humanity uh, to a place where the body has less value. Life has less value. Uh, some would say that we exist in, in, in a sort of a stasis for that right now with, with, with killings and, and, and murders and the crazy serial killings and, and shootings that are now just popping up um, all over the place. And it's interesting how, depending on the race, the ethnicity, the class, the status, um, how empathetic we come to be um, for some people in our society and how we lack any degree of of empathy uh, and sympathy for others um, in our our society, in in our culture, who in many cases have done absolutely nothing wrong to have their life ended, who've done absolutely nothing wrong to be set upon, you know, by the police or by some government um, that that decides it wants to come in and and bomb, you know, a a particular region of the world to to settle some political. So some would say that we've already crossed into a a dark place, a, a rabbit hole, if you will, of how we view and value life and the price that, you know, might be put upon any of our heads at any given time. You know, we're, we're arguing now about um, victims of, of police shootings and the families now not being compensated, while organizations 
um, Black Lives Matter, um, raised thousands of dollars, millions of dollars in some cases, and that money is not being used to help the family, the mothers, the grieving mothers, the grieving fathers, the, the grieving uh, remaining family members. And, and so now it's, you know, if, if your child gets killed and it doesn't become viral, it doesn't become a tagline, you know, you, you just have to struggle through it and, and, and deal with it while, you know, if you can find a, a great young person out there to sort of make your name go viral, uh, now it, it's got some monetary attachments uh, attached to it. It's, it's just interesting, the, the status of life in the world in which we are living and existing in. It, had this been in a book uh, five years ago, none of us would have believed this reality. The, the police killings and shootings, the protests, the pandemic, none of us would have believed this reality um, at all. Yet we're here, and we continue to survive. We, we continue to fight through. We continue to live to see the, uh, another day. And, and so the harm in suicide could be just that simple, you know, Indeed, if you are beyond a point of health, that's a that's a completely different conversation. But a, a suicide separate from, you know, the most egregious of, of health complications, um, it's an assumption of of knowing of time and place and elements that since the beginning of of history have been held by by the fates have been held by God and, and, and destiny and, and the ancestors and, and those that inhabit the other side. It, it's a test that we've all have had to make, you know, to validate our humanity, how we come into this world and how we subsequently leave the world. And so my heart goes out to any family, any parent um, that's dealing with any sort of suicide under any circumstances, uh, but but just to to respond um, to to that question, I, I don't think bad is is the right word, but indeed can become a disgruntled can can indeed be locked in can can indeed be sort of uh, trapped. You know, in a in a inter intra dimensional time space, that we are still just coming to to understand that that we are still just tapping the the surface on in terms of our scientific awareness and knowledge of time space and how the past, the present, indeed, sort of work for us. In, in this corner of the of the universe that we that we have our uh, our being in our, our existence in. Listen, I appreciate you all. Um, it's almost three hours in, uh, fifteen minutes short of a three hour show. 
I am so hydrated right now, dehydrated. Um, so I need to get off of here and uh, hydrate and maybe have some lunch. But I'm always, indeed, grateful for you all who show up and stay with me and, and are present um, doing these long uh, podcasts. Uh, I am going to make some adjustments. Um, I'm always looking to find a new way to do it, a, a different way to do things. So I am going to make some adjustments uh, to the show so that we don't have quite as much uh, downtime and, and me scrolling uh, through the through the chat. But for sure, I'll be here. I'll be with you. I will be for you. Um, here at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time for a revolutionary hoodoo New Orleans voodoo secrets and recipes. Recipes. Until next time, all is truly and indeed a blessing. I say. Congo Square. The Omus Indians, the Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the almost Indians, they pushed aside our host. The colonizers came and pushed aside our host and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Le Place de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment. But nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with 
crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de grace cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate. A world harrowed by the beat. Be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat. Heart beat. Heart be at this place. At this place be heart beat beat. We beating place in new world space. Beating being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. Connected together and singing, ringing, Singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be bonza music. And sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate with out of us. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, Deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. 
without shade, but dark, dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades, eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember. To beat, to be, beat Congo Square, be Congo Square, beat, be, beat, be. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get a hundred dollars back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting one hundred dollars back and one hundred percent accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 3:31. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 